and you're listening to the Activist Investing Today podcast. And I'm super excited to be here talking with Dana Moss, president of the American Antitrust Institute. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's an independent nonprofit organization focused on promoting competition, seeks to protect consumers, business, and society. Moss is an economist whose work spans both antitrust and regulation. And before the uh, AAI, she worked at the Federal Energy Regulation Commission, where she coordinated the agency's competition analysis for electricity mergers. Thank you, Dan, for taking the time. Thanks very much for having me. Okay, cool. So we know activist investors have frequently pushed for deals that carry antitrust and sometimes other regulatory risks. Um, I've seen deals that uh, activists have pushed for that face uh, uh, serious headwinds related to the U.S.-China trade situation. Uh, and uh, I guess the most recent example of this is Elliott Management wanted uh, AT&T to divest its direct TV unit and combine it with Dish Network. And as I'm sure Dan is familiar with this, that uh, a direct TV dish combination, those are the two uh, satellite TV companies, failed a, a number of years ago. And, but most recently, the AT&T CFO, John Stevens, pointed out that a combination of direct TV and dish has been, quote, tried from a regulatory perspective and hasn't been successful. And then he talked about all the litigation that they just went through to get approval for their uh, acquisition of Time Warner AT&T's acquisition of Time Warner, which owns CNN, um, that uh, faced a lot of risk. So it seems like they have uh, deal-related fatigue associated with that. But uh, there, uh, there's a bunch of other examples. I want to get into, I have like maybe five or six other examples of activists really pushing for deals that were ultimately rejected by antitrust regulars. But I thought um, I would, I guess, turn it over to you, Dana, for a couple minutes. Uh, you know, do you agree with my thesis that there's a lot of mergers that are driven by activists are they're you know really push the envelope on antitrust grounds that they're they're uh, driving these these uh these deals that um that you know e either they sometimes i found cases where they're just outright rejected you know a lawsuit uh, staples office depot that was driven by activists and it was rejected or other ones you know face serious antitrust risk yeah, I, I, I do agree, Ron. I, I think that there um, there's definitely been an uptick over the last several years in, um, uh, you know, global and U.S. companies that are subject to, we'll call them activist demands in terms of, um, you know, wanting to pursue certain deals, wanting to pursue certain spinoffs. Um, and activists, as you know, can exert a fair bit of pressure on, uh, on a company. Um, you know, I think it goes without saying that activists uh, shareholders have, you know, two unique roles. One is in is in the financial area, obviously, uh, with a goal to increase shareholder value. Um, but there are also a lot of activists out there that are pursuing non-financial goals. You know, divestments from particular countries. Um, you know, environmentally friendly policies, social corporate responsibility. You know, a lot of that's that's some good stuff there. Um, as far as the financial stuff goes. Yeah, you know, I think there is an uptick, um, but I also think to view this through through a bigger lens, we have to keep in mind that that most deals fail, <laughs> and this is whether they're you know the the result of activist demands or non activist demands. But but the failure rate on mergers in general is very high, wow. and that mostly comes out of the strategic management literature. Yeah, and you know all of the efficiencies claims that we see in merger cases that are reviewed by the agencies. Um, are, are, are very um, difficult 
uh, to deliver the goods on. So, you know, the, the, it's a troubling background uh, against which activist deals are, are occurring. And I think we need to distinguish between, um, you know, what I'll call sort of HSR filing requirements problems and roadblocks that these deals are facing, uh, which is important. But I think what I focus on and other competition advocates focus on is, is the antitrust concerns that are raised by those deals. <clears throat> and that's kind of the bucket where, where I'd like to focus. For, you know, for example, proposing deals where there is going to be a large increase in market share and market concentration, proposing vertical deals that are um, going to raise concerns about exclusion of rivals, you know, post-merger, uh, pushing deals that, uh, that are designed to take out small potential nascent rivals and markets. Those are all fodder for antitrust enforcers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, thought, I wanted to throw in a couple more examples that I've uh, come across in uh, just in the last few years. Uh, that, so I mentioned Starboard Value uh, drove a combination or pushed for a combination of Staples and Office Depot that was later challenged mm-hmm. by the FTC and ultimately blocked by a judge. The Starboard Value also pushed for a call off a proxy fight to get directors elected to steward information services, not as well followed as the Staples Office Depot one. And it was, mer- uh, 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 sorry. Uh, at the at, at Tyler for Proxy Fight, a title insurer stewards our information services after rival Fidelity National Financial uh, agreed to acquire it for one to one point two billion. Uh, Starboard liquidated its stake, and then in September, the title insurer canceled their merger after the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, said it would block the deal mm-hmm. on antitrust grounds. That was too much co- consolidation in the title insurer space. And uh, anyways, I have a number of other examples. Uh, there was the Dollar General, Dollar Tree, Family Dollar three-way triangle, which had pretty much every mm-hmm. activist involved. And <laughs> they, uh, there was there was serious. Uh, I guess one of the deals, if I remember correctly, would have the ones that the one some of the activists wanted would have actually raised a lot of antitrust. The company's uh, Family uh, uh, Tree, the Family Dollar, ultimately uh, got the deal it wanted, and then you were able to see later on that that. The other deal with the biggest one, Dollar General, uh, would have raised serious antitrust concerns uh, and uh, if it had been consummated. So I don't know. Why do you think that activists are, are pushing for you? Know, another thing I wanted to throw in, the office, the one interesting thing I found at Office uh, Depot uh, Staples, there was an analyst report that uh, you know I think was the inspiration for the activists, some Southside analysts saying, you know, these two office supply companies should merge. And I find a lot of times the activists are inspired by sell-side analysts who maybe uh, are coming, trying to come up with some interesting new ideas. And, uh, but it's, you know, it doesn't square with what the antitrust regulators ultimately discover. I, I, I just feel like right. there's a disconnect between New York and Washington in this area. Oh, oh, you're absolutely right. There's always been a disconnect. So, you know, the deals that are that look attractive, you know, from any standpoint, whether it's an activist investor or otherwise, and for whatever goals they're pursuing, whether it's changes in corporate policy or financing or cost cutting, those often don't square up with how antitrust enforcers um, look at the deals. Uh, I, I do think that um, enforcers are going to look at these deals regardless uh, you know, neutrally as to how they're, um, you know, how they're being constructed, whether whether they're they're the, you know, the product of activist demands or, or or other forms of of consolidation. Um, but I do think that enforcers are going to keep their eye on the ball, which is, you know, does this deal raise horizontal overlap concerns, higher concentration? 
does it combine firms and complementary markets and create uh, vertical concerns, uh, taking out potential competitors? But I also think they are looking more intensely now at the at the uh, transactions around private equity firms, where you have um, you've got cross ownership. Uh, issues where firms own shares of other rivals, so it's like a you know it's like a feedback loop, and also common ownership concerns where a firm would own partial ownership shares of of a bunch of rivals, for example, like in airlines. The antitrust agencies have struggled with the private equity deals and how they enhance incentives to uh, dampen competition, what constitutes control over management decisions. Um, passive versus non-passive um, control. These are all big questions that have come up in the antitrust arena of late. And certainly many activist investors are private equity firms and Absolutely. hedge funds and the like. So I think that's, you know, those are, those are some sticky questions that enforcers are looking at. But I also think enforcers have a, um, they have a negative reaction uh, to deals that are proposed by activists that make absolutely zero antitrust sense. They're not going to get over the hurdles. But where there's been demonstrated uh, harms, for example, I mean, look at the Martin Trichelli stuff, right? Um, mm -hmm. He was an activist. You know, we saw price increases on Daraprim, uh, you know, the, the anti-HIV drug. Um, you know, now the guy's in jail and, you know, for good reason. And so um, activist investors that pursue deals that are designed explicitly to create market power, to give the firm a strategic leg up in exercising market power that are going to be harmful. Um, I, I think I think that's not a that's not a that doesn't resonate <laughs> with antitrust enforcers. But maybe you have an interesting point there that the activists often try to push the envelope on antitrust because if they can get those deals accomplished, that gives those those companies maybe an unfair competitive advantage over their rivals is that the and maybe you know the ceos the c-suites and the boards of these companies are maybe a little they're too nervous to try a deal that would uh you know that they know would raise some antitrust hurdles but you know if the activist is pressuring to take control of part of the boards and uh, shareholders are looking for alpha premium on the value, you know, then they'll be kind of forced to do it. Does that, does that make any sense? Or what do you think about that? It, I think it makes total sense. I think you've raised that really, you know, really concisely. Um, I do think activists make proposals that would not otherwise be normally considered. Um, and, and again, this isn't to say that this is all bad. I mean, some activist investors are pursuing non-financial policy. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, social corporate right. responsibility, you know, pro-environmental stuff. And right. so, so that's all good. But from an antitrust standpoint, um, I, I think they are writing the, writing the, 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 you know, the envelope where they are proposing a very, very high risk regulatory deals. And, and those are going to get the same kind of scrutiny that a non-activist. Uh, motivated deal is going to get. And and I think the other thing to mention here, of course, is that we're dealing with markets now across the board in most major sectors where there are very high levels of concentration. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, ag agricultural biotechnology, healthcare, content and distribution. Uh, you know, we've, we're coming through a phase here of 30 years of pretty significant consolidation. So any deals that are being proposed against that backdrop are now getting uh, higher levels of scrutiny because of pre-existing high levels of, of concentration. 
you know, the other thing that's going on is acquisitions of potential competitors, uh, which which the digital technology sector has now really, you know, um, really highlighted. Those are getting really significant scrutiny. Another part problem is failed remedies. So, you know, we now have yeah. a list of failed remedies, you know, Safeway Albertsons, Hertz Dollar Thrifty, uh, a bunch of other cases are joining that list every 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 week or every month, it seems. And, and enforcers are going to be very cognizant of that. So this is a difficult landscape, um, you know, against which these deal, these activist motivated deals are being, um, are being considered. When you say failed remedies, are you talking about scenarios where the, uh, the companies propose a remedy, let's say divesting a bunch of pharmaceutical uh, drugstores to Fred's, the, the uh, small uh, uh, drug chain, and, but then the, ultimately the, re, the regulators, the DOJ, FTC won't, wouldn't approve those? Or, or, or what do you mean by failed remedies? Yeah, so, uh, you know, a lot of times there's an upfront fix, um, you know, fix it first stuff where the companies come in, prepare to, um, they know they got a competitive problem, and they they know they got to put something on the table. And, and a lot of times the agencies um, won't, they don't like those for because they do not effectively restore competition. Uh, the failed remedies I'm talking about are remedies that have actually been taken. They're con- they're contained in oh, I consent see. orders. Okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah, Safeway Albertsons. You know, they divested oh. uh, over a hundred stores to the to you know to Hagen or or Hagen, however it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. And you know, within ten months, those stores were were had they had shuttered their their stores and all those stores reverted back to Albertsons, you know, colossal field remedy on the FTC's part. Um, uh, you know, other, other field remedies right, so right. with higher concentration, um, you know, a, a growing history of field remedies, all of these dealers are going to get really significant scrutiny. It's interesting. You should. Yeah. So I, yeah, I guess the point, your point is that there's these deals that push the envelope. Uh, a lot of times the, uh, mm-hmm. The FTC feels compelled to, you know, say, well, okay, you can have this deal, but you have to divest this ridiculously large amount of, of, uh, of units to some other uh, small player, and it just it never doesn't work out. And I was, I was interested in that because I actually wrote a lot about this um, Fred's, this pharmacy chain, where there were, I mean, mm-hmm. by the way, there were activists involved in the, um, in the uh, Albertsons uh, situation that you were talking about as well. But uh, yeah. this activist, Alden Global, this guy, Heath Freeman, basically uh, uh, launched a campaign at Fred's. He you know, was very excited that Fred's was going to absorb a whole bunch of new uh, pharmacy uh, drugstores because the DOJ was going to force them to, uh, was going to let them re- require that, I guess, Rite Aid and Walgreens Boots uh, would have to divest the Fred's like some huge amount of, of change. I think it was 1200. Wait, I don't know. A large amount of these drugstore chains. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, mm-hmm. so they got into uh, Fred's, they got people on the board and then the, you know, the, it turned out that that, that, that divestor deal wasn't going to happen. Fred's shares plummeted because there was all this, the activists was in there, the shares were up. Everyone was expecting that Fred, you know, the companies proposed this to the, uh, the, uh, mm-hmm. the DOJ and then, uh, and then it, you know, the whole thing didn't work out. I think maybe the government would say, well, you know, maybe this is this could be one of those situations where Fred's could not. It's a little tiny drugstore chain could not absorb these mm-hmm. all these these right. drugstores. <laughs> so, anyways, it's not right. funny, but it just uh, the activists lost a lot of money on that, and Fred's ultimately went into bankruptcy. Actually, now, um, 
mm-hmm. not too long after that. So anyways, I feel like it's, it's the, both the failed remedies and also, I guess, expectations for remedies that, that ultimately don't work mm-hmm. out is, 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 uh, is something as well. Yeah. So um, I was interested. Yeah. I, I, I just wanted to throw in that, that, um, you know, these, these are not costless uh, endeavors. Right. Um, if activists are going to be, you know, uh, right out in front proposing risky deals, but deals that could potentially deliver value to shareholders, antitrust enforcers aren't looking at shareholders; they're looking at consumers and how consumers will be harmed. But if these deals fall through, um, you know, that's costly to the companies to pursue them and their breakup fees and right. you know the whole the whole ball of wax. So it, it strikes me that that companies should be. Um, you know, a little wary about what, what activist uh, pressures they're getting. Yeah. yeah, And they, they, I think maybe they need to do a better job of explaining concerns about that. There could be antitrust risks to their institutional yeah. investors who probably spend a lot more time talking to the activists, but that's necessary. And you've yeah. given me, so thank you. Dan, this has been Dana Moss uh, with, uh, she runs the American antitrust Institute in DC. And I really appreciate you taking time. You've given us a lot of me, a lot of stuff to think about. And, uh, um, definitely uh, very interesting your points about the private equity and activism as well. There's definitely kind of a um, uh, interrelation between the private equity and the hedge fund managers and private equity funds becoming activists, hedge funds becoming activists themselves at times and, and hedge fund activists launching private equity units. And, and anyways, it's all kind of interrelated. So I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you.